Blog Talk Radio. Man, 
Well, welcome to another episode of Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live comes to you every Saturday. We try to get on about 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. That would be 3.30 p.m. for those of you back east. Today we're running a little late, unfortunately, due to me. As many of you know, I'm still recovering from a a hit-and-run car accident. No, not accident. It was an incident on the freeway. So not moving as slick as I used to, but I am getting better and closer to our actual start time. So thank you all for bearing with me. I'm just glad I could sit upright and breathe today because my insurance adjuster called and said he thought that whoever was in the car had not made it. So when I answered the phone, he was actually surprised to hear from me. Well, through the grace of God, whatever higher powers there may be, I am still here. And today, we're bringing you a show titled, Republican Presidential Candidate Donald Trump Wants the Black Vote. That's right. He said it, said he wanted, and he's coming after it. Hmm. Well, Our Own Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our community in Las Vegas, the surrounding area, and someplace near you. America is the greatest country on earth due to its cultural diversity and not in spite of it. Our mission is to help bridge the culture and ethnic divide in America by working together to build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. And some of the ways we do that is with shows like Our Own Voices Live. Also, we are on social media. We're trying to get all over. We have a Facebook page called Our Own Voices Live. So please continue the conversation from here to there. And you can also join the conversation as we speak. We also have OurOwnVoices.com. Look for that to be populated very soon with hopefully things that will interest you. And, of course, we're on Our Own Voices. That's our Twitter handle. See, we're everywhere. And don't forget to check us out on YouTube. Of course, Our Own Voices. So we're trying to do the thing, and we will continue to do the thing, and not even a car accident will hold yours truly down. My homegirl and co-host, Mrs. Angela Thomas, is trying to make some things happen with her family, but look for her to be joining us back uh, shortly, continue doing this thing. Uh, we also have the chat room is open, so I'm going to be doing triple duty today. You got me in the air chair, you got me in the chat room, and you have me working the board, so I'll try to do as best as I can, and with your help, I know it will be good, because together, we can do it all. You know that old phrase, united we stand, divided we fall? Well, we're falling, so it's about time for us to unite. So, getting to the topic of our show, Mr. Donald Trump, Republican presidential candidate, Donald Trump is seeking the black vote. That's right. And I actually see nothing wrong with it. There was a gentleman that I knew for a number of years, an Army veteran, Vietnam vet, proud vet. Uh, Ultimately, he succumbed to an illness brought on by his service to our country in Vietnam. And to look at this this patriot, you might 
uh, think that he was Caucasian. And he said to me, Rodney, that he knew that. But he said, he said, I, I, he told me where he came from. He told me about his family. And he said, I just come from Louisiana. And that's why I look the way that I do. So I thought about it, and I said, well, you know, I'm going to use the same thing that they used back in the day, the, the one-drop method. So, all right, brother. And he says, Rodney, he says, because oftentimes when we'd go to political events, they would need someone to give the Pledge of Allegiance, and it was either him, me, or on occasion, both of it, because this is back in the day, the Democratic Party was trying to show that they were supporting the military and us veterans. And I appreciate the reach out, because sometimes that's what you need, is you have to reach out. So I accepted their outreach, and either he or I or both of us would do the Pledge of Allegiance. But one of the things he told me was he says, Rodney, when it comes to politics, he said it's about feeling. And he said, you need to understand that because you go out talking logic, you go out talking from sometimes what you think is an educated perspective. But he said politics is about feeling. It's about a comfort level. He says it really doesn't make any difference what person does or says. He can't, but he says ultimately what it comes down to is how does a person, or in this case, a candidate, make you feel? He says, because if a candidate, voter, feel comfortable, feel wanted, is pulling that voter's heartstrings, he says, guess who they're going to vote for? They're going to vote for that candidate. And I've thought about that. And I've talked to Democrats, I've talked to Republicans. And sometimes I've seen both take stances or support candidates who've taken stances that you would think were antithetical to their belief system, even to their way of life. But yet, they voted for that candidate. Now, usually the D's, the Democrats, or in this case, the Crips, and the R's, the Republicans, or in this case, the blood, they tend to vote for whoever, whichever party they're affiliated with. The Democrats vote for Democrats, the Republicans vote for Republicans. It's just how it is. Now, there is some deviation, but in general, that's how it is. As a matter of fact, the 47% that, that uh, former Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney talked about that possibly helped derail his presidential uh, bid, there's actually some truth to it. Roughly 47% of the people vote this way. Roughly 47% of the people vote that way. Crips, Blood, Democrats, Republicans, D's and R's. And then there's that narrow 6%. That's right, just 6% of the electorate that is a true swing vote. Now, there's always exceptions to the rule, and it can be a little bit more, a little bit less. That's a given. But in general, it's roughly that 6% that determines who our next president is going to be. And they may be aligned with 
a particular party. They may not be because they're independent presidential candidates, those nominees, they know this, and that's who they're tailoring that message to. Now, they always want to secure the base, but they typically do that in the primary. That's why you see the Democrats go hard with Democratic talking points. You hear the Republicans going hard with traditional Republican talking points. And whichever one tends to go the furthest right, if they're Republican, the furthest left, if they're Democrat, usually gets their party nomination. And then both suddenly do a U-turn. That's right. They do a U-turn and actually start heading towards each other in their effort to move to the center because the reason why they're moving to the center is because they know that that key electorate, that percent, and a few V's and R's, Crips and Bloods, that may swing one way or the other, they're trying to reach them because they block up the extremists, the true Blue, true red, true D's, true R's, true bloods, true crips. They, they have them locked. They're in there. I mean, also, that's what parties are for. Parties are to educate the voter, to raise money to support candidates of their choosing, and to get people to vote for their party because the candidate may not make as much difference as voting for their party because people tend to vote a straight ticket if you're going to vote Democrat or, in my case, I like to refer to them as the, the Crips because they have blue, and that's the way they act. If you're going to vote Democrat at, at the top of the ticket, which is the presidential nomination, then you typically will vote Democrat all the way down. If you are a Republican, a blood, then you typically vote red all the way down. The parties know this, the politicians know this. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to find that rare American that is involved, engaged, an educated voter, has issues that are important to them, they're looking for that voter, that narrow 6%. Normally, the Republicans do not necessarily go after the black vote. It's just not included. Because they know that, on average, the African-Americans Vote roughly 92% or sometimes higher, but it's roughly 92% on average for the Democrats. Republicans know this, and Democrats know this. And Democrats will be quick to tell you that they don't want to spend too much money in the black community because they know that they're going to get the black vote. So what they want to do is they want to spend money in communities that they may need a little help on, like in the Latino Hispanic community, to lock it down, and with that narrow 6%. That's what the Democrats say. Now, the Republicans 
the Republicans go into the any race, and including the presidential race, and Donald Trump knows this too. The Republicans go into the race knowing that African Americans typically vote about ninety-two percent or higher for the Democrats. They they know this. As a matter of fact, I believe in recent times, in modern days, the president that got the most African American black vote was George Bush. George Bush, W. And believe it or not, in his second election, he actually increased the number of black people who voted for him. Somebody fact-checked me, but I believe it was at 11%. So that meant that only 89% of black people voted for, that's huge. I know to most of us you say, but black people voted 89% for the Democrats. Yes, but normally they vote 92% or more for Democrats. George Bush was able to peel off some of the black vote. Now, the demographics of this country has changed, and there are, more, there are less white people to vote for Republicans. So though they still typically vote in large numbers for, for Republicans, there's just less of them. So a lot of people are starting to open up more towards minority voters, primarily Latino, Hispanic, and more recently to Asian. And the ones who I believe are looking at the demographic plot, few of them are starting to reach out more towards African Americans. Donald Trump presently is not doing well with African Americans. And I see you call, I'll bring you in shortly. Uh, but Donald Trump is not doing well with African Americans. He's not doing well with some white people that you would normally expect him to do well with. But on average, white people still typically are, you know, his, his, his 47% is still going to vote for him. But he's, he's in trouble. He's behind in the polls. So one of the things that Donald Trump has done most recently, and some people say surprisingly, is he has said he wants the African-American vote. He says, what do we have to lose? He talks about how bad things are in some of our communities, and he says he wants to do something about it. He wants to help. So the question then becomes to the African-American, should we even listen to Donald Trump? Should we give him a chance? Should Democratic voters, black voters, the base, the backbone of the Democratic Party, consider listening to what Donald Trump has to say? But I'm going to add this on to the discussion. Not only should we listen to what he has to say, and mostly what he has to say now is that, you know, he'll be the, the best for the blacks. He'll be the best for African Americans. And he talks about how the Democrats maybe not done as much as they could have or should have done for African Americans. He listed our education. He listed some crime. Uh, he listed jobs, you know, unemployment. He listed the competition. And all those things might be legitimate topics. As a matter of fact, some of them we know we talk about, in our, whether it's in our barbershop, our beauty salons, 
well, I don't know what they talk about in the beauty salon because I don't go, but I hear stuff. But they're, they're talking. People are talking about a lot of the things that he talked about. The strangest thing happened, though, is when he started talking about some of those issues, black people seemed to get upset. And, well, why is he talking about that? Well, don't talk about our issues. But these are things that we talk about. It's almost like the Republicans who put forth bills that President Obama, once he became president, made a list of the things that Republicans had put forth that he agreed with and then packaged them and then sent it to the Congress and says, okay, let's do these things. And even some of the Republican Congress people and senators who proposed these bills, in other words, the bill has their name on it. It's such and such a person's bill, whether it's John McCain or whomever. All of a sudden, the Republicans said, oh, no, we can't support that. But it was their bill in the first place. And they said, no, we can't support that. And the only reason why they wouldn't support it is because it came from the black president, the president of the United States. That was a Democrat. Some say it's because he was a Democrat. Some say it was because he's black. Some people say it's because he's a black Democrat. So we know that these were actual proposals from the Republicans that President Obama put forth, and they rejected. So now we have Donald Trump coming along. He hasn't been the friendliest to black people on the campaign trail, let's face it. But he says he wants the black vote. Do we listen to him? And what do we have to do? And is there anything he could do to get the black vote? 347-826-9600. Would love to hear what you have to say about the topic. And let's bring in our first caller. Uh, good afternoon. Welcome to Our Own Voices Live. Yeah, how you doing, sir? Well, I could be better, but I am here. How about you, brother? I'm well, man. I'm well. Good. So what do you have to say about Donald Trump asking for the black vote? Uh, well, well let, me, let me get to that. But before I do that, let me just say uh, I'm sure Joe Biden uh, kicks himself every morning when he looks across this political landscape and sees <laughs> that the stage was set for him to get an easy victory. And either he didn't believe he could do it or he's biding his time, but he made a huge mistake not getting himself involved. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a big thing with Donald Trump. I, I think the, the main thing that people are missing is he wasn't talking to black people. He was talking to white people about black people. So the crowds in front of him, which were majority white, and I'm talking 90 percentile when I say majority. I'm not saying like a slight majority. And he was hitting on talking points that most white people already think about black people. So in a fake appeal to black people, the moderate Republicans who who don't want to be considered racist for uh, signing on with Trump, he's openly saying, look, I'm appealing to black people. You see me appealing to them. So that way, those people can be more comfortable voting for him. But as far as really appealing to black people, no. If he, if he, if he was legit serious about this, he would have started this months ago. He would have actually had a, a plan, a real policy with details, uh, not just simple you know, rhetoric and, and saying, 
uh, you know, uh, what do you have to lose, which is the most insulting uh, political proposal anyone has ever uttered. Uh, what, it, what have you got to lose? Uh, basically saying, look, you got, no, you got no other choice, so you might as well come with me, not for the benefits of any political situation, which is always who gets what, when, and why. That's politics. So if you talk about politics and you're not including any of those things, uh, then you're assuming that I'm naive. You're assuming that my group well, uh, is, is to be had for nothing. But go ahead. Well, brother, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Um, what is Hillary Clinton's proposal for black people? Oh, oh same dim policy as usual. Uh, this huge, large-scale community acti- uh, activism, uh, supposed programs that will never actually occur, uh, mainly lip service. Uh, the Democratic Party is not good for black people either. Uh, we're just looking at a lesser of two evils situation. I myself don't vote Democrat, but I understand why a lot of black people do. And the Republicans, they have a situation where it's like this, man. Uh, you know how they said a bird in hand? Well, a bigot in hand right. is worth two in the bush. So are you going to risk this huge portion of bigots who historically – and especially the last few generations, have been overwhelmingly Republican because they don't like the others. Are you going to risk losing that guaranteed vote chasing after a black vote who may or may not come to your side? So the Republicans have been openly hostile to black people. Okay. So, and, and I, I, let me apologize first because usually what I do is uh, when, I, when, there's, uh, when I have some help here with the board uh, during the uh, uh, when I, when I have people in the uh, room before I bring them on live, I, I like to ask them what is their first name and where are they from. And I didn't get a chance to do that with you, brother. So if you don't mind sharing with us, what is your first name and and what what state are you in or city? Yeah, this is Naj. I'm in Atlanta. All right, we got ATL in the house, y'all. Back in the south. Well, okay, Naj, I, I appreciate you calling in and sharing some of those thoughts with us. So. We have the D on the left. We got the R's on the right. Democrats, Republicans, uh, Crips, and Blood. That's what we have. And black people typically vote for the D's. Right? They over 90% every election, well over 90%, every election votes for the Democrats. And we get what we get. How do we, in a two-party system leverage our vote, and we do vote as a block, how do we leverage our vote to push either one to address the, to truly address, and when I say truly address, I mean words are nice, and that's a good start, but with action. How do we leverage ourselves, position ourselves, to get more of the things that we need versus just lip service? Uh, well, that's the easy one. Uh, first things first, uh, the two-party system is not something we should be in agreement with. We should be trying to include more parties into the system, which will get more of our issues on the table uh, day one. But dealing with the dynamic we're dealing with, as you're saying, we're dealing with real terms, so we're dealing with a two-party system. Uh, the, the simple answer to that is you demand action before the vote, so before November, as, as we usually uh you know, play the game of giving up our vote without actually putting anything on the table, uh, this this period was the time to do it. So we saw 
uh, John Lewis and some of these people go over to the Clinton camp, but actually bring no patronage back to their uh, to their community. So that is the issue. We give up. We give that up early on in the process when the Dems need us, as you just uh, alluded to. Uh, W's second run when he was able to peel off some black voters, uh, how devastating that was for the Democrats. They need us in that 90 percentile, and probably even more if we're talking about Hillary. She probably needs 92 to 93, uh, you know what I mean, to, to actually win. So since since uh, we, we have leverage at that moment, and at this moment, uh, this is the time to actually demand action. And the, the interesting thing about that W run uh, that you alluded to earlier uh, that was a sitting president going for re-election uh, in, in, in wartime, which always is a functionary of, you know, of politics is giving you a little bump. But the thing he did was wrap himself in the blood of Jesus. Uh, he got real Christian, conservative, compassionate uh, during that period and really got a lot of black church folk, along with their pastors uh, who led them on that route, uh, to vote for W. And, and that was amazing for me to see that I, I was surprised at how many black people actually voted for that guy uh, under the guise of religion. Well, religion is a powerful thing, and everyone, everyone, except apparently Donald Trump knows, that if you truly want to reach the black voter, and I know there's some discussion on it one way or the other, but you know, let's go with what's real. If you truly want to move the black electorate, you typically move them through the church. That's still the case, even though church membership is declining and all of that, and offerings are even declining. But if you want to reach them, because people trust their pastor. Their pastor is like their father, or in more modern churches, like their mother. And if that's who they, because that pastor, because, you know, they can't come out directly and endorse in the pulpit, but they can make it known which candidate they support, and usually that's the way that church body, that congregation goes. So let's look at this thing. So one of the things that happened when W did get those votes is the Democrats, you, you're absolutely right, they saw it and they didn't like it because the black, black people make up their base. And all of a sudden you started seeing Democrats shifting a little bit on some of their stances and being a little bit more engaged towards black people. And, of course, we had President Obama, who is a black person, and by the nature of that, automatically got a larger percentage of the black vote. Well, now we have our first election since the first black president. We have a democratic, democratically controlled House of Representatives and a Democratic uh, excuse me, we have a Republican-controlled House of Representatives. We have a Republican-controlled Senate. Now, in that, we know that most incumbents have been reelected in their primary. We also know that there is over a 90%, I, I think some statistics say up to 98% uh Re-election rate of incumbents So unless something Out of the norm happens It's a good Possibility that most of The people that we have in the Senate And in the House of Representatives Are going to be re-elected Most of the people that We have in state houses Are going to be re-elected If the trend continues 
So the people who actually make the laws are probably going to be, if trend data bears out, are still going to be Republicans. The president does not make laws. The president, well, the president signs them into law, but we know that our House of Representatives, our Senate, are the ones who creates those bills. Knowing that, how much different will it make if we have a Republican-controlled Congress and another Democratic president? We had the do-nothing Congress back in the day, and now we have the do-less-thing-nothing Congress simply because President Obama is, is the president. Do you think if we get another Democrat, which would definitely also go against the odds, because typically after an eight-year run, you normally don't get another person of the same party, but, you know, there's always exceptions to every rule. Do you think it will make a difference with Congress and with laws that help this country and specifically help black people? If we get another Democratic president, and in this case, that would be Mrs. Hillary Clinton. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's uh, the same either way. I think when you're looking at America now, you see a polarized country that is really entrenched in their positions, and the only thing that really rallies either side is the idea that the opposition is going to run you over. So if we get Hillary as president, uh, the Republican base will get more donations, rallies, and move like they haven't moved in years. If we get Trump in office, the Democrats will rally their base, get more donations, and move like they haven't moved in years. So I think we're looking at a, uh, you know, a, a stalemate either way. Whichever one gets in office, they're going to be so, so, so tied uh, to their positions and so stuck because they're gonna, everybody's going to try to make it hard for them to operate. And, you know, just, just looking at this now, just think about this. And this is a, a very important thing to understand about why we do have this uh, Republican House and Senate. Uh, you go back to 2008, the, Repu- uh, the Democrats won because they said Obama and his team used the social media tools to get everybody engaged. Well, the Republicans were spending that time figuring out the, the new uh, way of, of looking at districts. Uh, they used this program called Maptitude to understand their districts better and understand demographics better. So, in 2010, when they swept into House and Congress, they were able to change the district lines through gerrymandering to kind of set the stage for them to continue to win and to make these super districts of very conservative areas. Now, that came to, uh, to bite them now because they made these super conservative areas that didn't want to compromise on anything, and that's how you get a Donald Trump. That's how John Boehner can't do his job because these people don't want to compromise on anything. So Republicans kind of cook the books in a sense, and 2020 is another uh, uh, year for the census. So the same thing is going to go on in 2020 when either side wins and they start looking at the demographics and they start trying to cut the district lines to their favor. So that is the country that we're in, and I don't see, really see anything that pulls us out of that trajectory to where it's uh, winner take all, and if you do lose, obstruct, obstruct, obstruct. Don't govern, obstruct. So that's where we are. Okay, so Nas, I'm going to present this to you. And I see that you're staying up on uh, what's going on in the political arena. So the Republicans have been entrenched and determined 
not to do anything that they don't have to do while President Obama is president. And they know that the country is falling apart. Infrastructure needs some serious help. And infrastructure used to be a nonpartisan thing. It was just what, you know, you did, right? Kind of like naming a post office. You never hear anybody object to the name of the post office, and Congress are the ones who name post offices. And infrastructure was very much like naming a post office. That's where it was almost, all right, let's go in, get this boat, let's hit the links, and go drink. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, they get this black guy in, this, this Barack Obama that they, like, just almost can't stand. You get uh, uh, one of the uh, senators uh, saying that, hey, uh, Mitch McConnell, that our job for the next four years basically is to repeal Obamacare and not to do anything with this president. Four years go by, he gets reelected, they're still doing the same thing. In the meantime, the country's still falling apart, they know it. I think, well, let, let me ask you this. The Republicans are waiting to get a Republican president so that they can suddenly start passing a bunch of legislation that will create jobs because they'll start fixing up the infrastructure. And then the president, if it was a Republican, would sign it into law, and you will see a lot of activity in Congress. And what their response will be is, hey, this is stuff that we wanted to do all along, but we were obstructed, whether there's true or not, that's what they'll say, potentially. We were we were obstructed with President Obama because he wasn't willing to work with us. But now that we have someone we can work with, look at what we did. If they get a Democrat in the White House, then because they still don't want to make it seem like it was them, they may not do anything and say that the Democrat just don't want to work with the Republicans and of course nothing will get done and the country will lose jobs, lose opportunity will continue to fall apart what do you think about that scenario? Uh, yeah I, I think you're raising good points there uh, like I said I, I think we're looking at a stalemate no matter what and you, you got to think about it in this fashion it's kind of similar to the, the end of Rome uh, to where Everybody was against everybody else because whoever got something passed that could be substantial, that could turn into something good for the people, uh, that person would get all the credit. So it became political maneuvering in order to stop someone else from doing something and becoming the star that rise above, you know, rises above the crowd. So this, this infighting is it's like uh, all of the, the, the character sticks that we created in this, that this system created to stop tyranny can also be used to stop governing and also to stop somebody else from rising above the crowd. So all of these political maneuvers that we're seeing, you know, from, you know, from uh, filibusters or, or, you know, whatever else you have to do, uh, the Dems will obstruct as well. So if they get a request, if Trump gets in, the Dems will obstruct as much as possible and they'll make it hard for him to govern as well. And, when you uh, like, like to be honest, when you look at the Republican record right now, 
uh, these states that are Republican-run right now who said we just need to get in and do conservative ideas. Uh, you go to Kansas, Indiana, you know, and all these different states, and you see these are economic failures. Like these are job, you know, job hemorrhaging areas. So it, 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 it's kind of in question if they want to implement some of this conservative stuff that they claim. But like I told you, in 2010, when they made these super conservative uh, districts, uh, they kind of got rid of the moderate Republican voice. So we're only hearing, you know, the loudest, most conservative ideology uh, that's really not, you know, practical in, you know, in action. So, I, like I said, I, okay. think, I think what you're saying goes either way. So how about this? This election, we have, uh, I believe Brother's name is Ajamu Baraka and Jill Stein, with Jill Stein at the top of the ticket, representing the Green Party, what we call a third party. And then we have the Libertarian, uh, Gary Johnson and, and former uh, Governor, I believe it's uh, Well, representing the Libertarian. So normally we just look at two parties. This time we have options. I mean, we always have options, but it's getting a little bit more pressed now. Should black people, and this is especially black people who normally vote Democrat, should they look at either of those leading third-party candidates to vote for? Yeah, uh, there there was a, uh, I can't think of the gentleman's name, there was a guy on Twitter, uh, he made his hashtag and kind of said it every day, earn this vote or lose meaning I'll go Jill Stein in the Green Party or, you know, like you said, I'll go Gary Johnson if need be. Uh, a good option out there is Moorhead Lily, the Workers' World Party. Uh, beautiful sister and brother, uh, two good black activists who've worked for decades for black people. And their whole campaign is about black people's issues. Now, if you vote for them, you understand you're not going to win the election. You're voting for them in opposition to the two parties. And I think it's a strong statement when you do, because when you do, those two parties have to say, okay, we lost X amount of votes to this third party because of what? And then they have to at least decide whether they want to address your issues or not. When you stay home, no one knows why you stayed home. But when you vote for a third party, it forces the party you're closest to ideology, you know, ideology-wise uh to make some type of, uh, you know, effort to figure out why they lost a, a, a chunk of their voting. Last time I voted Green Party, and this time I think I voted uh, Moorhead Lily. So I, I have no problem with that at all. So you talked about leveraging, leveraging power, leveraging the vote. Uh, I did listen to the uh, CNN town hall with uh, Jill Stein and Anjamu uh, Baraka. And they actually did have a black agenda. Now, they didn't say that it was the, you know, the everything, but they did say they had a black agenda. They talked about it. And I I liked what I saw. I mean, was it, could there be more? Definitely. But at least it was something. And that's Mm -hmm. the part that, that I thought was very interesting. And when it comes to leveraging our vote, leveraging our power, and you said when people stay home, we don't, they don't know why they stay home, but if they vote for someone different, that counts. We know uh, from data that 
a third party, at least right now, currently is taking more votes from Mrs. Clinton than it is from a candidate from the Republicans, Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump says he wants the black vote. Uh, Jill Stein and, and uh, Anjamu Baraka are going after the black vote. You mentioned the candidate. Say the candidate's name and the party again, brother. Uh, it's Moorhead Lily, the Workers' World Party. Moorhead Lily, the Workers' World Party. They're, you said they're running on a, a total black agenda. I need to research them. I need to find out if they, got any, if they have any offices here in Las Vegas. So with that being said, we know that if, if, we, if more black people and more people vote for one of the so-called third parties, that it takes votes from Mrs. Clinton and possibly could have an effect similar to former Green Party candidate uh, Ralph, Nader. Is, is, Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader. Thank you, brother. Uh, everybody knows I had I had a car accident and hit my head, so I'm not 100%. <laughs> so thank you, brother, for, for filling in. But you had Ralph Nader, and some people say that caused Al Gore to lose the election and therefore to give us W. Well, if more black people or just more people decided to vote for a third-party candidate, whether it was uh, Gary Johnson, uh, Moorhead Lilly, or uh, Jill Stein, and that led to us having a President Trump, would that do you think, and I know I kept you on a long time, brother, but I appreciate your commentary today, and I'm, I got another caller coming in, but I, I do want you to respond to this. Do you think that if they saw the black vote moving away from where it traditionally is, that that would be uh, somewhat disruptive to the normal plan and cause the two main parties to do more to seek us? And in addition to that, in addition to that, do you think that it then gives us the power to say this is what we want, here is our vote, we're putting it up to the highest bidder regardless of which party you are, and whoever will accept what we have offered, that's where we're going to put our vote for. How do you think that would impact the uh, two main parties and the overall election. Uh, well, I think it's a sign of political maturity. There's only so long you could just have veiled threats of uh, you guys better do this. Uh, but once you give them some consequences of okay, you didn't listen to us, you didn't put what we wanted uh, on your uh, on your panel. Okay, we went somewhere else, and now you lose because of it. Now you've got to address it in order to recruit us for the next uh, election going forward. So the the political pain is what uh, gets parties in line. And if black people only threaten but no, never act, then the Dems will continue to do what they do. So I, 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 could, I, I consider that uh, political maturity uh, for us to say, well, we're going to do this because you're not giving us what we want. And for them to come afterwards to try to come with the narrative of, well, you're only hurting yourself because you allowed that other side to get in, in power. And the reality to that is, no. You're a political party who's supposed to represent this 46 million uh, group of black people, and you decide not to put enough on the docket for us to choose you. That is a failing of the party, not a failing of the people. 
Right on, brother. Well, hey, thank you so much for uh, spending so much time with us today. I'm not sure if you uh, called in expecting that, but I appreciate the, the uh, you know, your thoughtful comments. And it's oh, no, no problem, man. I got a big mouth. I don't mind talking, my man. Thank you for letting me on. <laughs> I enjoy the show. You're, you're really getting into things that need to be addressed. And uh, shame on some of these black folks who are out here looking at this as if it's a football game, team red, team blue, and not considering uh, what our interests are and everything outside of that is always secondary. Well, thanks a lot, man, and have a good show. All right. Thank you, Brother Nas from the ATL joining us today with some very uh, thought-provoking and well-thought-out commentary. And what the topic of our show today is, uh, it's, it's a very simple one, and Donald Trump, a Republican presidential candidate, Donald Trump, wants the black folks, and that's what we're talking about today. You're on Our Own Voices Live, uh, Quick Station ID, uh, Our Own Voices Live comes here every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. That would be 3.30 p.m. for our East Coast listeners. Big shout out to the folks in the deep, Detroit, and also got some folks from the Shy, Shy Town. Uh, we come to you, I believe it's at uh, 2.30 uh, your time. So thanks for joining in, uh, at least listening to it today. Uh, appreciate that. And Miss Pretty, I see you in there waving, looking all cute and everything. Thank you so much for listening to us. And, you know, we want to talk about this thing of Donald Trump saying he wants the black vote. Now, I'm not opposed to him asking for it because everybody should ask that's running for office, especially president, for the vote of every American citizen. That includes black people. All too often, the Democrats don't ask because they know they're going to get it, and the Republicans don't ask because they know they're not going to get it. And ultimately, we get nothing other than to say that the person that we voted for, if they win, they won. If they lost, you know, we say, oh, well, next time. Some people say if you vote for a third-party candidate, it is a wasted vote because you know they can't win. Well, we know that only one person is going to win. So if you are a Republican and you vote Republican, but the Democratic Democratic candidate wins, did the Republican waste their vote? Well, if you are a Democrat who votes for the Democrat, it's the same thing. So I guess what I'm saying is for us, for black people, how do we go about getting people to desire us, to want our vote, to a point where they're willing to do something? The brother that I was telling you about before says, Rodney, what we don't do is we don't tell people what we want, and then we don't use our vote as a bargaining tool simply by saying, hey, our vote is for sale. And what the highest bidder, person who says they will do what we want them to do. All too often he would say, we never tell them what we want them to do. We accept what they say that they will do or what they don't say. Maybe now is definitely the time of all times that we have that agenda. We put that agenda forth and we see it's like casting a line and see who's coming to nibble. All right, we got another caller on the uh, line. Uh, welcome to Our Own Voices Live. I am your host, Rodney Smith, and we're talking about Donald Trump wanting the black vote. What's your thoughts? 
You talking to me? Is this me? Am I on? Yes, sir. What's your What's your name? Hey, and, uh, how you doing, sir? My name's Andreas Fulcher. I've uh, swamped a little bit of discussion with you on Facebook, and you know what I love about you, Rodney? You, I've listened to you now for 45 minutes before I got on, and I'm an African-American here in Dallas, and I've uh, taken the sting of the haters, unfortunately, our, our culture. But I want to say about you, sir, you keep everything even, and that's what I love about you. You're, I mean, I think that Jesse Peterson, I really like Jesse Peterson. He's pretty radical. But, I, you know, you, you really do, and, and I commend you for that. And I'm going to give you an example of me in 2008, my mind stands so when it came to the election. And I do lead for the Republicans because they give me a lot of love since 03 especially. But okay. in 2008, I didn't vote. Uh-oh. <laughs> I did something very unpatriotic. Because either way, Rodney, Wait a I was a winner. Hold on, Andreas. Andreas, okay. hold on. I just want to make sure I heard that clear. <laughs> did you say that you did not vote at all? Not at all, no. And there's a reason for that. Either way, I was going to win, okay, Rodney. Hold on. Either hold way. On. I don't drink. I'll explain. I okay, drink. go ahead. Go ahead. I got to reach for my root beer because I need a hit on that one. Get your root beer. Don't get, don't get the jack. Don't get the jack now. Don't get, hit the root All beer. Right. Go ahead. Uh, well, break that down and for us. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why. Either way, I was going to lose. For 10 years, no, for, yeah, 10 years before Obama got voted in, for the first time I got my surety bond, first surety bond, as a 29-year-old Afro-American with no degree, which burst me, I mean, catapulted me to, to success in my construction company. That year, we ended up doing almost half a million dollars in sales. When it seemed like in 97, I was going to fail when I got stiffed for $220,000. So what, I'm try, what I was trying to advocate through for t- eight, 10 years was that we've turned the page. Most whites are not as racist as we think they are. And if Obama wins, it'll have proven my point. I've been sparking out there for 10 years. But if McCain win and Palin win, we're not entertaining same-sex marriage, which obviously uh, it, it went to the highest court of the land, which compromises, for me, I think, spiritually, our country. Because our country, whether you like it or not, was founded on biblical principles. The forefathers advocated Christ into our eulogy, uh, the way that we do things. And that's the reason why I was able to live the American dream, is because this country is founded on biblical principles. And despite my disability that I, uh, that I received, uh, it, was, uh, it was my own fault in '03. I mean, I'm sorry, in 95, I came over here with my fiance, and I did almost two and a half million dollars as a black man well, with Andreas, no degree. Andreas, before you go on, I do want to hit a, hit back on you. You mentioned something about white people not being as uh, what was that you said about white people and I don't. I, I think they. I think we turned the page. I think they. I. I mean, I've seen um, nothing but. Goodness, for the most part, come from whites. I mean, I I, I think that there's a. It seems like the the fight is just one sided right now. I, I think the civil rights movement has achieved what it's supposed to. Everyone who has character, for the most part, you you know, you get what you want. 
Uh, you can get a credit card. If you have character, you can travel the world. Oof, you're on the other side of the planet before you know it. You don't have a degree. You're black, but you're in Cambodia, ordering up for eight prisoners at a dinner table in Phnom Penh like I did 20, uh, 15 years ago when I was 33 with no degree. Living and up, living, enjoy the American dream, traveling the world. That, that to me is part of the American dream, or to me that is the American dream. You know, travel the world and be able to come back to your home and your house ain't going to no foreclosure. That's pretty much the sense of it. And I've I've loved I've lived the American dream. I can say that. So, and I don't want to get too far into this because um, sure, like I said, I, I I hit my head and I don't really keep everything as straight as I used to, but. <laughs> I, I do okay. know, and I still recall that, as you said, America is founded on biblical principles. Yeah. America is also founded on dehumanizing other people to the point of. Well, there was, there was, a, yes, there was a that. transition. Well, I, well, yeah. well, hold on a minute, Go ahead. If I just Go ahead. because you yeah. did, you did use that in. You know, the point that you were making, that America was founded on biblical principles. I don't deny that. But what I'm saying is, in the founding of this country on those biblical principles that you mentioned, Uh it also included, my my earpiece fell out on this conversation, but it also (laughs) included dehumanizing what should have been other citizens. And I'm not talking about in this case, African-Americans or Africans. I'm talking about those natives, the indigenous population that was already here. In that same vein of biblical principle, they wiped out, in modern estimates, somewhere between 20 to 40 million humans who were the indigenous population that was here. Now, as we move Still talking about the this religious foundation of this country, this biblical principle of this country. We know that Thomas Jefferson, who had slaves, matter of fact, we know that oh, yeah. he had lots of children from at least one of those from slaves. Black, yeah, <laughs> at least he he did he did push for, for in the Constitution. He did push that we become a non-slave. Holding state, of course, that got removed from the Constitution, and you know, some pursuit of some other things were added. But ultimately, this country, and I just want to make sure that we're factual, if we're talking about biblical principles, because some people may not be all supportive of those biblical principles that included enslaving another group of people, in this case now Africans, who are now African Americans or their descendants anyway. And then kept them enslaved, kept them in captivity for whether you look at it as being 400 years or 256 years, depending on when you think slavery actually started. Kept those people in slavery, dehumanized them, treated them as animals, bought and sold them, uh, raped them, killed them, even had laws that protected them because they considered it property. Again, this is still under your biblical principle. And then when they were freed in 1865, the Civil War, I believe, mm-hmm. ended in somebody fact checked. I believe it was yeah. somewhere around April fourth, eighteen sixty-five. They were they were free, right? And then yeah. we had the Thirteenth Amendment, Fourteenth and Fifteenth Amendment that guaranteed certain rights, which also guaranteed some white people some additional rights that they didn't have. Yeah. So we yeah. we know that this is a fact, 
of this biblically founded country. And then we know that after 1865, in less than 20 years of that freedom, Rutherford B. Hayes was elected president in the Great Compromise, and a part Mm -hmm. of that compromise was to remove the troops from the South that Grant had put there. Lincoln had ordered initially, and Grant supported it. Black people made huge leaps. This is all fact. This is all history. As a matter of fact, one of the things that other people see when they look at black people from outside before they come to this country is Mm -hmm. how quickly we bounce from slavery to educated to business and industry within that time called Reconstruction, a time of history that we often don't talk about. We know that HBCUs were created, black businesses, black community, so forth and so on. But when Ronnie, Ronnie, I love it. I love what you're saying. I love it. I love love it. I just just, have to interject. I was sheer emotion. I apologize. Go ahead. Right. When Rutherford B. became president, and they took those troops out of the South, and they initiated Jim Crow laws throughout the South, and not just the South, because some of those laws actually impacted the North and went as far as California. Many people may not know that California had more Jim Crow laws on the books than any other state in the Union. And then black people were once again diminished from full participation in this biblically founded country. This is after slavery now, up until our lifetime, Andreas, until 1963, 1964, uh, when we got the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. 1965, we got the housing, we got the housing, we got all these other things, laws changed. Yeah. So for basically almost yeah. another 80 years, we were put into the situation of being second-class or third-class Americans. Now that brings yeah. us to modern times, modern times. We're talking about today. When people, yeah. you know, there's just a recent survey that came out that said that even white people believe that racism, racism, is a problem in America. White people are saying this, but you're saying, and I just want, that's why I want to make sure that, you know, using your foundation, but you're now saying that race, white people are not really racist anymore? You know, I, I believe that because my, uh, I, I founded my company almost 20 years ago, on December 27th, be 20 years I'll have my company. And because I'm incorporated godly values, I've never had an issue with anybody trying, except for our culture, unfortunately, trying to keep me down. I mean, I did made hundreds of thousands of dollars in the faces of whites. Uh, I did uh, with the city of Dallas from 98 to 2000, did almost $900,000. Nobody stopped me. The only people who have really tried to put contention uh, blocks in my have have been our people, but um, no, I just I feel like that uh, if you if you if you don't look at race and race and you just look at what you know what God, what does God want me to do? God wanted me to supply for my wife. Period. That's it. Supply a, a good domicile for my wife in, in North Garland, which we did in January ninety seven, and that to me was the American dream, and that that's all really all I needed, but. Uh, they came so much wonderful things uh, uh, with that, and uh, I was actually very successful my first five years. Like I said, we did almost $2.5 million, and that's, that was in concrete paving. 
everything from patios to airport runways. And I've won a number of accommodations since then, and I don't have a degree. <laughs> I don't have a degree. But Andreas, and uh, how does yeah. that? How does that? How does your individual success equate to America not being? And I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I, I really want to focus on Donald Trump. But you, you yeah. did mention this. But how does your individual success suggest that we have less? You know, we're not racist. Some whites are not racist because remember our history. We had a young woman named Biddy Smith who hailed from Meridian, Mississippi, and this is, she was a slave uh-huh. who, with her slave masters, walked, because they were in the, you know, the buggy, but she walked uh-huh. from Meridian, Mississippi to California. When she got wow. to California, because California was a, in order to come into the Union, was a slave-free state, she uh-huh. had to be released from her servitude to her masters. Now, Biddy Smith was a good cook, and Biddy Smith started, you know, she had to make a living, right? Because she wasn't getting that so-called free room and board that the guest workers, otherwise known as slaves, were getting. So she had to go to work, and she started cooking and selling lunches to the people that were getting off the boats and stuff right on the coast of California. And she uh-huh. did this to the point where she was able to, to open a little storefront. She wound up uh, buying the building from her proceeds. The slavery was still going on back east now. But she was, yeah. and she had been a slave. She's now free. And so life was, you know, became better for her. And eventually uh-huh. she wound up buying a boarding house. Uh, she uh, helped start a newspaper. She was one of the founders of the uh, the first AME church uh, uh, there in, in California, in, in what's now the L.A. area. And yeah. she ultimately became the richest black woman, and some people say the richest woman, in the state of California before she passed away because she owned mul- multiple properties. She invested uh-huh. as well. She was very frugal, and she was a very productive woman. Now, she had individual success during the time of slavery and racism. Now, I'm kind of, you know, you say you're having individual success and you equated that to there being less racism. She had individual success in the time of slavery. That didn't mean there was less racism. So do you get where I'm going with this analogy here? That's an awesome story, Rodney. I didn't hear that before, but, you know, it just but it goes to show that you can penetrate and you can actually live the American dream even way back then. It's not e- what is easy back then, but now it is easy. It is easier. We need to really realize that whites are waiting for us to realize that they're not racist. Most of them really aren't racist, in my opinion. In my opinion, most of them okay. aren't racist. Okay, well, we're all entitled to our opinion, uh, and we're entitled to disagree with each other's opinion. But I mean, I, I got my first surety bond at 29, 29 years young, you know with max out credit cards, max out credit cards. But the statistics do not support that, even from white right. companies. White no, you're right. do not support your statement. Okay, so back to Donald Trump. Donald Trump has And I do support him. I do support him. I don't know. I just, right, you, but you, you know, let me know. Now, yeah. What should Donald Trump, because Donald Trump has said some incendiary things 
in association <laughs> with black people. I mean, let's let's put it out there. We, we have yeah. to have honest yeah. and candid conversation. I am yeah. not against Donald Trump, but Donald Trump has said some things that could easily be taken and he's against us. There was a gentleman at one of his rallies who was walking mm-hmm. out. You may have seen it on, on, on the news. He was leaving the rally, and he was a protester. And on his way out, an older man punched him in the face, hauled off and punched him. And the younger man, the black man, so he was punched by an elder, older white man, turned, and I can only imagine what was going through his mind. The security, which included the police at the time, jumped on the black man who had been hit, put him to the ground, arrested him. Donald Trump said right there on the spot how how he supported the actions against the black man, and then Mm -hmm. later on said that if there was any uh, financial obligation levied against the puncher, the older white person, who falls off and punched the younger black person for no reason. He'll pay for it. He'll pay for it. That he would pay for it. Now, he didn't ask how is the black man who got hit. He didn't say he would pay his medical bills. When he saw him get escorted out by the police, he didn't say that he would pay for his bail. Nor, and maybe this is the part that, as as just a human, as a fellow American that got me, is nor did he tell his people that that type of conduct was not acceptable. Even John McCain, when he was doing a town hall, and the elderly lady, white lady, got up and called President Obama a Muslim, even John McCain took the microphone, came over, and well, basically took the microphone back from her and said, no, no, President Obama is not a Muslim. He's a good man. We simply have disagreement. John McCain did that. Yeah. That, that yeah, statesmanship. That's a Donald good man. Trump that's a good man. witnessed yeah. this and, and basically encouraged it instead of saying, hey, that's not yeah. the way we conduct business here. Now, that's just one incident. That's just mm-hmm. one incident. There's multiple incidents. Remember the Central Park Five? I believe the Central Park Five. Donald Trump what was that? paid. Okay, go ahead. That was when the there was some young black men who were accused of raping mm-hmm. a white woman. Okay. And they went to jail. And Donald Trump said he was going to pay for this and that for the lawyers and to prosecute these mm-hmm. people. And even later talked about what a success it was to get these predators off the street. Well, guess what? Yeah. The Central Park Five said all along were innocent. They were innocent, but they went to jail. Let it go back and forth. I mean, look look at the Duke Lacrosse uh, guys. You know that lady is black lady who lied about getting right. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. Let's say that. Let's say that. Donald Trump. You know, I agree with you. He's shown not only that. He's shown himself to be racist and other, I mean, way before this election and some of the things he's, uh, his position in the past. Uh, so I have to agree with well, you, Rodney. But well, we unfortunately, know that the law, yeah. but hold on a minute, Andres. We know that 
the apartment complexes that he had, I believe, in Queens, New York, invoked the Justice Department to levy sanctions against his father's company for racist practices. We these these are facts. Now, can people change? Yes. So Donald Trump, let's let's bring it up because I can go. There's a list of things that Donald Trump has said against black people. But now he says he wants the black people's vote. And I, what I'm suggesting to you, especially as being a supporter, he's, he's in Nevada today, but you as a supporter, if Donald Trump truly wants the black vote, then what Donald Trump, and I'm going to say need, but I don't often use the word need, because mm-hmm. need is compelling. Donald Trump yeah. needs to make amends for his past actions and statements towards black people. And then Donald Trump, after he does that, he needs to do that. After he does that, if he has a plan, which he has not articulated yet, he needs to tell us what his plan is for black people other than just that he's going to make things great. And if he does not have a plan, because he's a white guy and I understand, we white people don't think about black people. That's also fact. Then is he willing to... Wait, wait, wait. I like, I, wait, I like what you just said. You just, you just said... You said white people don't think about black people, right? That's what you just said, right? No, normally, normally white people, and this is also a proven fact. Normally, white people do not think about black people because black They're, people are that's not true. decision makers. They're not decision makers. When they think of yeah, decision they, they, makers, you're they right. Think of I mean, you are right. But see, the thing is, blacks seem to get this misconception that. The the white man is uh, waking up in the morning trying to figure out a way to stop him. And, but what you just said is right. Whites wake up in the morning, they're not even thinking about race. They're not thinking about race. They're not. They don't. They go about their day. They go to work, and then uh, until they go, you know, slashing their new slash, you know, uh, looting this and that, and and when uh, you know a white cop gets killed, by, you know, but but they don't really. They're not into. The racial, they don't want to really talk race. They really don't because they so, have no attention. So we got, and that, that, we have Donald that way Trump. in our favor. Yeah, go ahead. We have Donald Trump today. Well, actually, let me give a, a brief station. I'd be a little over our time uh, for that. Uh, you're listening to Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is a active blog talk radio show where we try to discuss issues that are relevant to us in the Las Vegas Valley. Nevada and throughout this country. Our own Voices Live comes on every Saturday, roughly at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. That's 3.30 for those of you out east. And, of course, for our folks in the shy, that would be 2.30. So thank you all for listening. Uh, our topic today is on Donald Trump wants the black vote. Uh, we had uh, Nas on early. We had Brother Andreas on right now, hailing from Dallas, a Donald Trump supporter. Uh, so our time is running down, Andreas. Uh, so, but before we go, what, in your estimation, since you are Donald Trump supporter and you are a black person, what, in your estimation, what does Donald Trump need to do to show that he truly is interested in black people, our plight, and what should he tell us that he's willing to do to help us? How, does, how should he? You're advising him right now, of course. You know Donald Trump listens to my radio show. Not really. But just in case, just in case Donald Trump is, people were listening in right now, what would you suggest to him to do to make himself appealing to the black folk and to seem real to us black people? 
I, I would appeal to Trump that uh, him professing to be a man of God, because he says he's a Christian, that you have to look, you have to try to treat the black community as you would want to be treated. And uh, I, I understand you, you've actually offended them in the past. And if they want an apology from you, apologize to them and then move forward with a, a, a contrite plan to you know, help the uh, black community, uh, you know, catch a, gets a, bo- a momentum into this, this uh, very fluid economy and to try to help them gain ground in which ground has been lost through whatever, whatever it may be, apathy or continued uh, riots and all the, all the stuff that we're going through. We've lost ground in the last eight years. We're supposed to have, they, Rodney, things supposedly should have gotten better because we have a black president. And guess what? We didn't have looting and destruction of cities when um, when uh, Bush was president, except for Katrina, which was unnecessary. You see, when it happened in a white area over there in Louisiana, there's no looting. There's no destroying of people and people taking advantage of each other. It's just people helping each other. But anyway, that's beside the point. I think that Trump needs to just, uh, well, he's done it a little bit. He's humbled himself. He's softened his his approach, but he needs to go ahead and take a step further and reach out and say, I'm sorry if there's some things I said in the past that have been offensive, but I do want to help the community, the black community, and do what he can. Okay. Well, that's, and, that's, and then that's another, fair, another thing I want to, I want to ask you also, um, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, Black Wall Street back in, in Oklahoma. I mean, why didn't Black Wall Street start up in Harlem or somewhere where where it's more accommodating? I mean, it's amazing that they even have Black Harlem. This is a totally different subject. I know that. But I, I wish they wouldn't have started that. They obviously were real good business black men in, in Oklahoma there and near Tulsa. But I wish they would have started that somewhere where else. But, um, but I want well, to say this. You have heard of, I'm sure, the Harlem Renaissance. Well, the Harlem yep. Renaissance was black people doing big things mm-hmm. in Harlem. That is New York. Uh, I'm sure you still. I think they're still doing it. They're still. Yeah, they're still doing it. Other people do it. There were other people. There were other. Do you know that before yeah. Black Wall Street, there was Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, that had black people on an equal playing field with white people for a while. As a matter of fact, there were actually more blacks in Wilmington, North Carolina, than whites, and they shared power. They lived next door to each other. They were in elected office. Uh, That was until the racist white people actually burned down. I mean, if if you look at the history of these places, they did have them, but they were all destroyed. Five races, yeah. white people. Whether we're talking about Rosewood, whether we're talking about Greenwood, whether we're talking about Wilmington, North Carolina, it, it doesn't make a difference. Whenever we have risen up as a people, even Seneca Village in New York was destroyed by white people. As a matter of fact, yeah. where Wall Street is today, it used to be where black people lived and thrived. It also yeah. was where some other bad things happened to black people too before that. So yeah. it is it is not just that there was one place, there were multiple places, but most mm-hmm. of them met the same fate 
do to white people. Well, now this is a new day. We have Donald Trump who has said some incendiary things about black people, but he is asking us for the black vote. Hillary Clinton yeah. has said some incendiary things about well, black people. She's going to who got him blacks incarcerated to uh, to, to gain her uh, her jail uh, funding, uh, her funding for her jail system. Her and Clinton, I mean Bill Clinton, I mean they incarcerated millions, uh, hundreds of thousands of blacks, you know, right. for just You're to, for their own right. game. So and, and so my point and is to say, yeah, right. So my point is the same as Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton have done and said incendiary things about black people, and black people have, you know, forgiven them, and they have been willing to vote for them. Obviously, now you have Donald Trump. Now Donald Trump hasn't asked for forgiveness yet. I will say that the Clintons have done something. I don't think they've done enough in that regard. They have done something. Donald Trump, will you do at least what the Clintons have done, and will you apologize? As as Brother Andreas said, show contrition. For some Amen. of your past misdeeds in association with black people, so that we as Americans can truly sit down and talk about the needs of Americans. And Andreas brought up the Bible. One of the biggest biblical principles is to do for the least of these. That's what it says in that book. Amen. Yes, it does. Well, in America, we know that as a group, African Americans fall into that category of the yeah. least of these. And if we are going to represent ourselves as this country that was founded on those so-called Christian values, those principles, and you yeah. want to vote. But here's African the thing: we have to work. To, but because our discontent with one another, I think that's the. The biggest problem is our pride. I think we've destroyed ourselves in a sense. Well, in my business, I felt it. I'll be honest with you. I'm scarred. I'll tell you that. When I overcame the $240,000 hit, I took six months into my business, and I saw the, the white man come to my rescue. And then fast forward. Listen, I want to give you this itinerary that I'm going to get off because I know you're over your time. But I, want to, I want to tell you this, and this just feels so good to tell this little report, and hopefully you can – Absorb it and appreciate it. I was 33 years young when I went on my second trip to Cambodia in 2001. A freer than a bird. I went alone this time. I went with a group in 1999. And um, I had a parishioner named Hoor. He showed me all the corruption cravings, all the, the little areas that we didn't go to as a group. And then one, it was dusk in Phnom um, Penh, which is the capital of Cambodia. And, um, you know, I told Hoor, I said, Hoor, I'm hungry. I want to get something to eat. And he showed me a guy who was just uh, selling eggs on the side of the road, um, Rodney. And um, I asked him, well, uh, are those eggs boiled? He said, well, here, I'll show it. He didn't seem to understand what, that, what I meant when I said, are they boiled? He opened that thing up. Rodney, green slime came out of there. I was like, you can't eat that. He said, yeah, yeah, we eat this. He took it. So here, he said, I'll show you. He took a spare spoon. He put a gob of that stuff into his mouth. 
And by golly, over his shoulder, I couldn't believe it, Rodney. I saw a sign, German-American restaurant. And I'm sitting here contemplating eating slime. I said, who, what is that? That's a restaurant, ain't it? He said, yeah. I said, well, why don't we go in there? You know, and I've got, I've got a pocket full of credit cards. I've got about five credit cards so I can do anything. And by this time, I didn't mention this, by this time about eight of his friends had last on to him, just kind of following him around. There was a little 17-year-old girl with him among the mix. I said, let's get in here. <laughs> I sparked in there. And this was interesting. Just like segregation in the Cambodia, I marched in there as a two-story restaurant. And I said, who are, why aren't your friends coming in? He said, well, they don't think they're worthy. And I immediately thought of segregation. I said, what? I said, no, tell them they're with me. Tell them to get in here. They got in there. We got on the upper balcony. The weather was amazing, about 75 degrees. I told them, I said, listen, I'm ordering. You guys just order up anything you want. And um, I hit a snack. Everybody ordered except the little 17-year-old woman. And I, and I said, well, what does she want? <laughs> and then the translator, he said, well, she wants a T-bone steak, but she just thinks it's too much. You know, she's looking out for my budget, Rodney, you know. like you know. I'm like, no, and tell her. I said, tell her, no, tell her, go, we're the same. I've got this, you know. And um, she kept shaking her head, smiling, and he just said, well, she just thinks it's too much. And so I told the guy, the translator, I said, tell her, give her an ultimatum now. Tell her either she orders the steak right now or she's got to get up and leave. Well, Rodney, she ordered that steak. And um, when everybody had stopped, I, you know, I asked for the check for my credit card. Next stop, Bangkok. I extended my layover in Bangkok for two days. Now, here's one thing I didn't share with you. When I, when I booked my flight to Cambodia, my travel agent, Rodney, advised me of a special at Cancun when I come back that's been reduced by 70%. And I'm thinking it's like a Super 8 or Motel 6 or something. She said, no, it's at the first class Hyatt Regency Hotel uh, for seven days. A week after you come back, you would be reduced by 70% because of spring break. You want to do book that too? I said, well, I do want to book it, and I will book it. And I was married, yes, but um, my, my wife had to work. So, yes, I bounced off of a, a, a Bangkok coming back from Cambodia for two days, spent a week in, in, in Garland, and got back on a flight hit the beaches of Cancun, and there's a good reason for it. That guy wanted me to put me and play semi-pro football. I played football in Germany for seven years uh, before okay, I... Okay, Andreas, let's start wrapping it up. Anyway, anyway, I ran the beaches for seven days when I came back from Cambodia and the beaches of Cancun. And one morning, and I'll be honest with you, uh, Rodney, I got up. And it's about 10 o'clock in the morning. I looked out at the vast ocean, everything still, everything quiet. All my bills are paid. My $820 a month dump truck is paid for. I looked out in the vast ocean and I said to myself, how can anybody argue about Martin Luther King's dream coming true? I'm standing right here embellishing it at 33 with no degree as a black man. And I ran those beaches. Came back. About a month later, I won a $280,000 road project in Corsicana for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. All to say that, I'm just trying to throw some positive things that one can do as a black man in this country. And, then, and, then, and I had to fight against our own people to get to that point. 
I'm still recovering from what happened to be at over three, but uh, we, we, we still return to the page. I've got a, had a great meeting the other day with the Republican group. A uh, guy, Huffines, here locally. He's the um, representative for the, the Dallas Fort Worth district, the Republican. I met a gentleman. He's an insurance guy. Hey, Andre, I'm at the I'm at the cut okay. you off because I'm down to yeah. Down yes, sir. To. Yes, sir. This was said that God story bless you, Rodney. <laughs> <laughs> Rodney, God bless you, man. I'm gonna let you go, man. But just uh, keep keep the positivity and keep that mainstream that you got going. You're not you're not showing partiality to any side, or you're really finding the really the right line to to to, to walk when you talk about these issues. So God bless you and keep that show up, man. All right? You have a good day. All right. Thanks, Andreas. Appreciate the call. That was Brother Andreas from Texas, a Donald Trump supporter. And he had some interesting things to say about Donald Trump. He he views America as being uh, less racist uh, based off of his individual success. And what I wanted to do was I pointed out that Biddy's uh, Smith from Meridian, Mississippi, a slave who walked from Mississippi to California uh, as a slave and got to California and because California was a free state. She gained her freedom and she ultimately, ultimately became the richest black woman, some say the richest woman in California. There's a monument to her today just outside of uh, Little Tokyo. Things were going well for her, but they weren't going well for those people who were enslaved uh, back east. So individual success does not mean that there is general opportunity for success for everyone else. I appreciate Brother Nas for calling. I appreciate Brother Andreas for calling and their input. You've been listening to Our Own Voices Live. Our topic today was Donald Trump wants the black vote. Uh, I suggested to Andreas, and I asked him, what should Donald Trump do for that black vote? And he said he should show some contrition for some of his past misdeeds associated with black people and that he should apologize for some things as well as some things that he's done in association to black people. And then he should lay out a plan as much as he has for how he can improve a lot of black people in America today and that he should sit with black people and listen to what they have to say about what their needs are and then move forward from there. Well, that I agree with. And please join us on Our Own Voices Live on Facebook and Our Own Voices on Twitter. Let's continue the conversation throughout the week. And what we're talking about is Donald Trump wants the black vote. We'll be back next Saturday, 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. That's 3.30 p.m. for those of you back east. Our Own Voices Live, y'all. Let's keep it alive. And big shout-out to folks who may be under the weather. I send out my my prayers, my well wishes. I send out positive energy to you all. Believe me, I understand your struggle. I may not be going through your individual struggle, but I have my own, and each of us have our own. And I I send out power to you all. Uh, To a good friend of mine whose father is suffering from cancer, and she doesn't his insurance doesn't allow for the cancer medication. And she needs some money. And she's witnessing her father getting better and the cancer going into remission. But in order to get the full treatment, she needs she needs four hundred dollars. 
if any of you have $400 or if you have $10 towards that, hit me up on Our Own Voices Live or Our Own Voices on Twitter. I can put you in contact with this young woman who is in this situation of being the sole provider for her father. And he's, he has cancer, but he's, his insurance just doesn't cover the cancer medication. If you have any ideas, anything, if you have some money, hit me up on Our Own Voices live on Facebook and Our Own Voices on Twitter. Let's see if we can help this young lady save her father. He is an American. He's a veteran. But he didn't stand long enough to get uh, veterans' benefits. And now he is literally dying when he shouldn't be in a country as rich as America. So everyone, I send the prayers out to him. I send the prayers out to his daughter. I send prayers out to you if you're going through it. And if you're blessed with a little extra, please think about sharing it with this father who has a loving daughter. All right, everybody, I'm out. Until next time, God bless you. Be safe, especially out there on those highways because I got rear-ended and totaled my car, and that's why I'm in the situation I'm in today.